Today we have Brian Amos on the show. Are you looking to invest in multifamily real estate? Learn from Brian Amos, an expert in the field on how to complete due diligence. He offers tips on what red flags to look for and how to properly inspect a property. Investing in multifamily real estate can be a great way to grow your portfolio, so don't miss out on this valuable information. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, I wrote a book called Why Not You? I'm a big believer that the big man upstairs created each and every one of us with the potential to do great big things. Why not you? If you are looking for inspiration to take action, for less than $20 and a few hours of reading, this may be just what you need. You can find it on Amazon by searching my name. Now, on to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Brian Amos before we start the show. Brian lives in the Fort Worth area with his family. He's performed due diligence on over 80,000 multifamily units. He loves the multifamily asset class, and he loves helping investors understand the current physical condition of a property and how that will have an impact on capital expenditures going forward. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Brian Amos with us. Brian, appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, Darren. Glad to be here. Excited to participate in the podcast. I've heard about it for a long time. Fantastic. Well, just a little bit on how Brian and I know each other and then uh, we'll jump in. But so Brian, you know, when I first got my first syndication deal, one of the things I was scared of was, you know, I'm not an engineer. And I was like, how do I know that I'm buying a property that doesn't have a bunch of issues structurally or, or otherwise? And, you know, thankfully, I had joined a group, uh, the Brad Sumrock group. Both of us are part of that group. And I met a lot of other syndicators and they're like, just hire Brian. And, and so, so I did and he helped out in a tremendous way. So I'm very interested in this conversation and I think the listeners are going to benefit tremendously from it. So um, with that, can you share a little bit on how many properties and how many units you're invested in? You know, maybe because you're on the due diligence side, share a little bit about your background there as well. Sure, sure. No problem. Been doing due diligence for 13 years. We've assessed over 80,000 units, oh, uh, several crazy. several hundred properties, and all ranges, you know, D-class to A-plus. I've transitioned over the last few years to also be an apartment investor, and that's how we, we've we met. We are in the same uh, investing group. And currently, I'm general partner in three properties, uh, 832 units, uh, so two larger properties, 300 plus units, and then a 160 unit property in Irving, we just closed on earlier this year. That's awesome. You know, as I alluded to earlier, um, I hired your firm, which is is called the Omni Group, 
And, you know, I did that based off of, you know, recommendations from other syndicators because I was like, look, I don't know if there's foundation issues or if there's, you know, plumbing issues or whatever. And they're like, don't worry, just call Brian. And, and so I did, I I called you on and um, hired your, your company. Explain a little bit to the listeners, like what you guys do when you come on property and when. Right. So I, I think we approach it a little bit differently than what you may expect. If you have experience in, you know, a home inspector, you're, you're selling a house or you're buying a house, you get a home inspector. We're that for apartments only for the investor. I think that's an important distinction. Uh, for example, when you get your home inspection, it goes to the buyer, right? The, it's the buyer. And in this case, in multifamily, the lender is the one who authorizes, engages the inspection company usually, right? So it's on the lender side. So the lender is looking to protect themselves. And, and I saw a gap there where we would get this property condition assessment from the lender and it wasn't from the investor's perspective. And so I created this with a, with another investor who had a property management company and they had a due diligence checklist of all the things that you needed. And me from the construction side, because at that time I've been a general contractor for uh, six or seven years. And this was back in 2009. And we, we put this together for the investor. And so, like you said, you hired me, I'm your advocate to make sure that there are no big problems uh, on the property and then uh, sketch out the initial costs for the first year on those major categories. And your interests are my focus. And if you get it from the lender, the lender's trying to protect themselves. So so that's where we came up with these, uh, like, major categories that we would cover uh, for due diligence. So what are those major categories? And, and I think this is an important distinction, you know, for your listeners that uh, if you, if you get a lender's PCA report, it's, it's uh, by engineers kind of for engineers. And so they may break it up in different categories. And so as uh, an investor, and someone who's renovated properties, it's based, we based it on who's going to actually do the work. Now, some of these are obvious. The roofer does the roofing. Foundation company does foundation. But when you get on interiors, who does the flooring? Who does the cabinets? Uh, who does the exterior? Maybe the carpenter or the metalwork. And you can kind of, the way those are divided up in a PCA is a little bit unclear. Who, who does the work? So we make sure we have one party responsible for exterior repairs and then interior repairs. So two major categories. Of course, you have your roof, your foundation, your uh, plumbing, the sewer line side, and then the domestic hot water side. So you have your you know, sewage and then your, your potable, your domestic hot water that's used for your showers and inside the units. Then you have a uh, parking lot, uh, termites. Now, now termites is usually not a, not a, not a deal breaker, but, uh, it's always required by the lender. So it's something we, we check, uh, HVAC and then, uh, electrical. So those are your, your major categories. We also throw in exterior lighting. It's never a deal breaker, but 
usually the electricians out there, they're checking the, the panels, they check the lighting as well. So listeners, think about this. If you're going after your first deal, like, like I was when, when I hired Brian, like you get a deal under contract and then maybe you're not a due diligence guy like myself. And I had no idea how comprehensive this was going to be. And if I had to do it alone, right, I would have had to call the plumber. So basically, I hire Brian's company, and then I show up for due diligence, and he has brought all those different skill sets, different companies that specialize. So he's got an electric, electrical company there. He's got a foundation company there. He's got an AC company there. And so... They're going and looking at all the facets and then they report to Brian and then Brian summarizes it to me, you know, as the investor. And that was such a breath of fresh air. In addition to that, Brian's walking me around the property pointing out, you know, hey, you see this? This, you know, you depending on how long you're, you're looking to hold it, you may want to do this. You may not want to do this. So he's providing value and he's giving guidance. Now, you're the ultimate decision maker on how you're going to spend the rehab money. But he's got, you know, the experience of reviewing over 80,000 units. So why would you not listen to this guy? So I was very thankful. Well, appreciate that, Darren. And, and point out, so I'm not necessarily the expert, you know, so... My business model is I'm a, a coordinator of experts because, you know, I've learned a few things about electrical and a few things about plumbing over the years and have some training and some different study that we've done, but I'm never going to beat a plumber who's been around for 30 years or a master electrician who's, that's what they do day in, day out. So, so we contract uh, with these companies to give their professional opinion and actual bids uh, for that work. So a little bit different than what a lender will do. Lender usually has one representative, one person that comes out uh, and this guy or gal will review the property for an hour, maybe two hours and walk a sample number of units and, and then give you a summary based off, you know, kind of their tables that they have to do pricing. So totally different getting an actual bid from a contractor and we provide all that coordination for the investor. Yeah, that's huge uh, from a number of different aspects. One, you know, from the investor standpoint, you know, I can take action from one of the quotes that are included in your report, you know, um, immediately after purchasing the property, but I'm not required to, you know. So, you know, you, you're bringing all these experts on and they're providing quotes for doing the work. But if I have another general contractor that I want to use, I can use that general contractor for one or multiple or all the, all the pieces. And, you know, even if I don't use the vendors that, that Brian brings, it's another bid that I can, I can compare to another GC that I might be working with. So it's invaluable. Absolutely. Right. So sometimes they ask like, do we have to use this contractor or this sub? Uh, no, this is supposed to be a real-world, um, accurate proposal for you to use. Again, we're on your side. We're the investor's advocate and give them the resources so that they can make quality decisions based on their business plan, not based on some lender's criteria. Well, these are deferred maintenance. You have to do these certain things. 
Well, we want to give you the big picture and then the control is in your hands to make those decisions. Yeah, I mean, that's huge because in the beginning, you're, you know, as the investor, you're putting together the rehab budget and, you know, having somebody that is on your side, like Brian, to be able to say, you know, where should I be spending the money? You know, and you, because that's a big part of being a syndicator and being the lead on a deal is knowing where to put the money and where you're going to get the most value from. Um, but, you know, there's certain things that you just, you can't get away from, you know, if the, if the plumbing clogs up, you, you have to fix it. Right. And, exactly. and so, um, you know, knowing that upfront and budgeting for that is, is crucial. Absolutely. And, you know, different ages of property affect your business plan. Um, so, for example, I, I currently own a, a 1960s property that has cast iron sewer lines. Oh, I'm well, so glad you're talking about cast iron sewer lines because I, I want to know about that because I've got a property like that too. It's just a nightmare. So the problem with cast iron is they were designed to last about 50 years. And unfortunately, uh, you know, I was born in the early 70s and I'm approaching 50, right? So uh, anything in the 60s is over that. And, and it just shows some signs of a deterioration, kind of like me, you know, my, my, all my joints <laughs> don't work the same as I did when I was younger. Well, these cast iron pipes in, in the maintenance guys and different plumbers over time, you know, they, they rotor rooter those lines, they uh, uh, hydrojet them and, and they start to deteriorate. And just the, uh, you know, they, they start to rust and, and flake. And so over time, you have these weak spots and the sewer lines break. So it wasn't until the, the 1980s where they switched to PVC, which those lines last longer. So anything in the 70s and 80s, you have a high likelihood that you have uh, cast iron pipes. Now, I wouldn't necessarily, now this is a, like this particular property that I own, 1960, it's performing tremendously, doing well. But it's something that we have to budget for. Initially, we did some initial repairs. And then we know that that's an ongoing cost that we must uh, kind of account for, for this older property. Yeah, that, that's very important is that you, look, you could still buy these, these properties, but you have to be able to budget for the repairs and maintenance. If you don't budget for it, it's going to eat into the cash flow you thought was going to investors. Um, so... I on the cast iron pipes, I'm going to ask you a few questions here because I want to learn. Sure, no problem. Um, I've seen some some cast iron pipes at one of the properties I'm involved with that literally like cracks, like just, you know, they're not repairable. I mean, they're just cracks all the way down the pipe. And, the, you know, the guidance from the plumbers is that they got to cut that piece of the pipe out and then put PVC up and then kind of latch that on to a, a good part of the cast iron pipe. Um, so one, is that a good approach? And verse, you know, or, you know, it's very costly to replace the entire, you know, cast iron to, to PVC. Um, and then somebody, an investor actually brought up to me, and I've never heard this before, so I don't know if this is, you know, just a commercial um, or if it's real, but, there was something called cast iron pipe lining repair where they 
basically go, I guess, go in and then put like PVC inside the cast iron pipe versus having to like cut the wall out and then cut the pipe and then replace it with PVC. So that's a lot, but you know, I want, I'm, I'm interested in that detail. So let's start back where you, you first started. The pipe does literally disintegrate and have cracks and you cannot do a, like, there's nothing to patch that crack and there's, you do have to cut it out and your next clean piece of pipe is where you have to attach to. Now I'm most familiar with uh, making that repair with PVC. So that is a recommended repair, um, especially if you're going vertically, you know, that's something where you, you need, you, you typically use PVC for, for your sewer lines. Uh, one of the, the big difference with how maybe a maintenance guy would do this repair versus uh, a plumber who's doing it the right way right. is how they do those connections. So you may the connection have- connection between the PVC between, and where and the, it latches and onto- And the old the, cast iron, right? right? So the cast iron, you found a good section. Uh, how are you making that connection? Because what you don't want is six months from now, that shifts and you end up with another area that blocks flow and you have a backup in, in just a couple of months. And that is very common to have uh, quick- plumbing repair done by maintenance. They dig down, they, you know, so you rubber, a, a rubber gasket, you know, fitting. Uh, you want to make sure that it's properly connected, uh, that the, the pieces meet and that they have a secure fitting uh, to connect that line. So what and would be a shift. secure fitting? I'm not of that world. So, so not just... Uh, a bracket that you get from Home Depot is really, you, you make sure that you have a complete fitting on both sides of the line and that doesn't move. You're trying to avoid this, this up and down movement when the two, two lines meet. Gotcha. Because we're, you know, we're in North Texas, which is unusual for some people, but our soil moves. It shifts over time. And we have a, a clay soil, high, high, content of clay and it's elastic. So you do your plumbing repair and over time you get a lot of rain or you get a lot of, uh, or it doesn't rain and that soil will move and it'll break those repairs. Gotcha. So you have to be able to take this uh, up and down movement that we have in North Texas. So that that's interesting. Now, how do you like, cause you guys go in and do due diligence ahead of time. First thing you see is, hey, this property has cast iron pipes. It's, it's evident you can see that. Now you're doing the scoping of the lines and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what happens a lot of times is, is the scoping of the lines is the major lines that are going from whatever, the, the, the main sewer line into the buildings, but it's not going to snake all the way up through each apartment. And so you know, the main lines might look all right. And then all of a sudden you buy it and then you have cast iron pipes that are bursting on the second floor. And then it's, you know, seeping down to the sec first floor. And now you, you're having to make repairs on two different apartment units. And you, how do you know that in due diligence? How do you, is there a way? 
between the walls and uh, the vertical lines, you really can't scope those lines. Gotcha. So what we're trying to get, we're scoping lines that are most probable to fail. Those lines under the building are the ones who are most susceptible to, you know, ground movement, wearing out, uh, deterioration over time. And the cast iron in the walls tend to last longer. So not that they uh, don't ever deteriorate, but they last longer. So we're looking for the major items that we know might be a problem. And when we scope those lines, uh, there, there has been a couple of deals where we scope and we find mud and dirt. And that means the line is broken or just filled with roots. That means the, the lines are cracked and roots can penetrate in there. And so there have been a couple of deals where we had to cancel the deal and say, really, we don't recommend to go forward because the sewer lines are so bad. Definitely a potential deal breaker. Now, you did mention uh, the, the liner, and that's a, that's a new product that's come out. So I don't have personal experience with that on how well that lasts. Uh, we typically do PVC repairs when we're replacing any of the cast iron pipes. But it's something that might be an option, particularly as these properties continue to age, looking for other alternatives that might be cost effective. Right. So what are some, so that's definitely, you know, for the listener's benefit, if you're looking for your first property, you want to look to see if it's got cast iron pipes for, for the sewage um, or it's got PVC. Um, if it has cast iron, it doesn't mean that the deal doesn't work. It just means that you have to, you know, pay close attention to, um, you know, the due diligence process when they scope and also, you know, how much money you're going to allocate to plumbing issues. So and, what, and some of this, it depends on who's owned this prior. And some of these properties, they may be older, but they were institutional investors and they've replaced almost 90% of the, the cast iron. That's a surprise. You know, sometimes you have a, a 1970 property that was owned by an institutional investor in the 90s and they changed all the cast iron to PVC. That's, and you don't know that until you scope it. That, that's a great surprise, right? Absolutely. <laughs> that's a great surprise. So talk about some of the other red flags because, you know, business people that, you know, they're focused so much on, you know, making the returns for the investors you know, paying the right price for the property. But then, you know, an imp a huge impact could be repairs and maintenance. So what are some of the other red flags that you look for when you're doing due diligence? Well, let's, let's do two, top okay. and bottom, okay. right? So first thing is the roof. Everything, uh, if you don't have a secure envelope for your property, water penetration, Rain is going to get in, uh, weather. So, so the quality roof is really paramount. It's really important. And so that's why we bring out a roofer. We bring out uh, someone to check those items. And, and even before you bring out any expert, you know, maybe you drive by the property or you're reading the OM, the offering memorandum. It, if they have a newer roof, they're going to advertise it. <laughs> right. It's going to be in the OM. So it's going to be... Uh, we replaced the roof two years ago. If, if there's if no hear, mention, then it's probably older. Then it's at least, you know, eight to 10 years old or older, but nobody knows. That's usually when you, you might have a problem and you, know, you might need to budget for some repairs. So 
So the roof is something where, yes, take a look at it, but get someone out there uh, prior to, you know, you purchasing the property, of course. And so, so that's key. And then the other thing is, is foundation. And, and really, so, so my area is, you know, we do, we cover all of Texas. And uh, so it's pretty common to have foundation problems in Texas. You have different investors from New York or Florida or California, and this is completely new to them. So here, you know, we have a great market, a lot of jobs, but we have some physical characteristics that are a little bit unusual uh, and that we have foundation movement. And particularly these older properties tend to move even more because the concrete wasn't as, you know, highly rated. Your PSI rating, your pounds per square inch is lower. It breaks easier. It moves. And so that's something that, one, you're going to have to account for some number for foundation. We typically find most properties can have thirty to $50,000 in foundation repair, and that's normal. So that's not a deal breaker. That's like a kind of normal course of business where you have a problem when it's, when it's over 100,000 or a few hundred thousand in, in foundation repairs, and you, you'll see cracks in the walls, you'll see uh, uh, some of this d- distress. So that definitely can be a deal breaker. That's what I was going to ask for, you know, for the person that doesn't know foundation issues, like if they're doing a drive-by or they, they're just walking by the property, are there telltale signs that that property has foundation issues? So if you're brick construction, you'll see the stair-step cracks in the mortar joints of the brick, and you'll see gaps around windows, and you'll see when you do a, maybe you do a property tour and you're looking in the units, you'll see cracks around the windows and the doors. Um, that's pretty, pretty common. Um, it can be as bad as where you find the, the roof. It's actually caused damage because the foundation moves so much. One city in particular, Irving, which is doing phenomenally, you know, for job wise. And it's a great place to, I, I own a property in Irving, but it also has one of the worst foundation, uh, (laughs) soils, you know, for, for apartments. So you, that's kind of a trade-off. You know, it's interesting that you said that it's common and it's, you know, par for the course in Texas. Like I grew up in Connecticut and I don't know anything really about, I mean, I've been in, you know, due diligence wise, other than talking to people like yourself. Um, but, you know, on the East Coast, I remember if somebody said anything about foundation issues, it was like steer clear, like that, you know, that's a problem property and don't even touch it. But, you know, I've invested in some properties, you know, as an LP where there were foundation issues and, you know, the sponsors went and allocated enough money and they fixed those foundation issues, you know, before they painted the property and, and whatnot. And, um, and it turned out great, you know, so, that's interesting that you say that, that it's, it's par for the course here. Because I do, you know, get out-of-state investors and particularly the lender, right? The lender freaks out. The lender's from New York um, and they've never heard of foundation problems. Like, what's the deal with foundation? So they, they want to make sure you have an 
you know, engineering report and all these surveys and all different levels of uh, where they can make sure that they're confident in your plan. But really, it's this is kind of normal. It's uh, kind of par for the course in North Texas and Texas in general. The, the key is, do you have an, a budget allocated for it? And can you stabilize the foundation enough over your hold period? The reality is that some may not tell you if they're in the foundation business is, unfortunately, I, I've had one old engineer tell me, I said, because I, I used to do single family homes, right? Before I did multifamily from 2000, early 2000s to 2009, we did single family homes, we flipped houses. And so I'm, I'm kind of cutting my teeth on general contracting and learning this business and uh, had an engineer who we were trying to make sure everything was right with the house. And I said, can you give me a guarantee? And he said, well, yes. Okay, well, give me the guarantee on, on this work. I'll guarantee you it's going to move. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, he, you know, I kind of deflated. But over the years, I've realized that like, he's exactly right. It, it, it will move over time. You can stabilize it. It makes it better. But you know, it continues to move with, with the weather that we have, excessive dryness or a lot of moisture, uh, it will just move over time. That's hilarious. That, that reminds me of a, of a CEO of a software company. And I was at like a CFO conference and somebody said to him while he was speaking, you know, hey, he was complaining about their maintenance fees. And he's like, the CEO was like, isn't this a great business? I charge you for the software and then I charge you to maintain it. Like, and so that guy just responded similar. He's like, I can guarantee it's going to move at some point, you know? So, all right. So we, we hit on the two biggies, uh, roof foundation. We talked about plumbing. So we got what electrical AC safety issues. You know, what, what's your take in those kind of areas? So let's talk about electrical because I see things changing in that, that area. Okay. Now, when you have older properties, anything, you know, 1960s, mid 60s, 65 to like 73, you have aluminum wiring. And we used to, you know, so I've been doing this, you know, 13, this is my 13th year, going on 14, probably in, in December. But we used to be able to just do what they called pigtailing, aluminum to copper. And that's kind of the older school method of this mitigation. So you know, if you hear aluminum wiring, particularly for residential, you're, you're a little bit nervous, kind of like the foundation. Like, is this going to be a problem? Right. Well, um, if it's properly handled at the switches and plugs, it's really not an issue. It's not the aluminum uh, that the aluminum in, in all its forms is bad. You know, commercial buildings and new apartment constructions currently use aluminum wire for their main feeder lines. So large gauge aluminum is is fine. It was when they tried to use it for a residential application and they use small gauge and it would the wire would break and be uh, you know not durable as copper. And one of the problems with aluminum when it when it breaks or becomes uh, bent, it can tend to not conduct electricity. So you have a little bit of sparking where you have that bend. 
So uh, they did eventually, by the way, improve that quality of aluminum in the 70s, but everyone was so like, aluminum's bad, we don't want it. Uh, so it's really that 1965 to 1973, you need to do some mitigation is what they call it. To cut to the chase, they're requiring, lenders are requiring Alumicon or competing method, Copalum, which is a way to transfer electricity from aluminum to copper. So Alumicon is a connector. It's a connector that you have copper line and aluminum line, and there's no heat transfer. So that's, that's the preferred method. That's, again, Alumicon. Now, just a, a play on words is Copalum. That's a crimping method where they make that connection between aluminum and copper. So you want that transition to not have any heat transfer and some other methods, according to some studies, allow that. So I, I say this because lenders are being more strict on their, what, what they have for insurance requirements that they're going to carry on their policy. So they want to make sure this is done uh, the way that they specify. Because I would say just three, four years ago, that they would allow some of these older methods that they don't allow now. Gotcha. So I always heard exactly that, like, you know, you know kind of like the copper, you know, cast iron, iron pipes, uh, you know, look, from an electrical standpoint, as a business guy, look to see if they have aluminum. If they have aluminum, see if they, it's already been pigtailed. And I don't even know what that looks like, but I would ask people, is it pigtailed, right? And, and, and somebody that knows would, would tell me one way or the other. Well, well just to uh, kind of give a visual for your listeners, okay. uh, pigtail is like a corkscrew, like a pig's tail, and you, you wind like a corkscrew, uh, copper and aluminum, where they're twisted together, okay. and then you have a wire nut on top. So that's pigtailing. And you're just doing it at the, at the connections? At the connections with your switches and your plugs, because you have aluminum in the, in the walls, and then your switch is going to be a, a copper switch. So now you're saying that they're requiring Alumicon or Copalum. A couple of questions come to mind. One is... Of course, of course that's more expensive, right? Okay, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> is, is that more expensive than, than pigtailing? What, how Absolutely. much is it to pigtail and how much is it to, to add this uh, Alumicon? So you previously could pigtail maybe for $15 a connection. Now it's $25 to $30 a connection. So every, every time I check, it's a little bit more expensive uh, with the way pricing is going up these days. Now what happens, what are the lenders saying for the properties that have already been mitigated by pigtailing? So I understand if it's, a, if it's an aluminum property and they say, okay, we're not going to, you know, agree to pigtail you got to use this method. But if it's already been pigtailed, is it grandfathered in or do you have to switch it out? Not at all. So this is very important to, to realize. They consider this a life safety issue and those items are not grandfathered. Uh. So just because it was done and, and it was done correctly toward, uh, according to code and the city doesn't have a problem with it, but we're finding that you're going to have to upgrade how it was done now, now get this, okay? I have a uh, one of my older properties. It's a Fannie loan, so it's, it's 
uh, long-term debt, so which is good these days, right? Yeah, but, fixed uh, rate. <laughs> yes. But they've come back. And so I'm not the only one I've asked around some other investors. Uh, Fannie is kind of reevaluating some of these older properties that are actually performing well, right? So if you're doing well, you kind of get on their hit list and they, they redo uh, their property condition assessment. That, so they bring out their expert and they're, they're having you, that. yes, they're having you upgrade. So particularly on the electrical, for example, so we have a property that has been uh, pigtailed and the other thing is uh, Kolar, you might hear copper, aluminum, uh, those, those are devices that we used to use. We're having to change those out to uh, Alumicon and there's no, there's no new purchase. This is just wow. Fannie coming back and requiring you to upgrade these things that were okay when we first bought that's the property. That's not even on the change of ownership. That's correct. That's like, okay, existing ownership. You've got a 10 year loan with these guys. They come in, out in year three or four and they're like, Hey, by the way, you got to spend yes. this much money. Yeah. So this. this is a couple hundred thousand dollar hit, uh, that we weren't necessarily expecting. That's why it's good to have capital reserves in your operating plan. It's also another good reason to have a guy like you on the, on the team because look, you if somebody just went and bought a property and had no idea that that was a potential issue, and they hired a GC that said let's just pigtail it, well they're putting themselves at risk that all that money could go down the drain. They may have to redo everything. So. Absolutely, and, and I want to touch on another electrical item that's very similar is uh, the Federal Pacific Electric panels. Okay. Uh, Federal Pacific panels from the 70s and 80s, you know, they mass produce these electrical panels. They're very popular in apartments. And uh, they also called Stablock. So this is kind of a, a confusion sometimes on, is it Stablock or is it Federal? No, it's, it's like your Honda Accord. You know, Honda is the manufacturer and Accord is your model of the car. Well, Federal Pacific Electric is the manufacturer of these panels. Stablock was their very popular model that they used uh, in, in many apartments. And we used to be able to do a, a load test to test those breakers, whether they would trip or not. Um, they don't allow that anymore. And Maybe we were able to do a percentage as well, but now they're reevaluating these properties. And in fact, this year in, in 2022, uh, none of those have been accepted to not be replaced. And I used to be maybe a couple of years ago, 50, 50 and uh, maybe six, seven years ago, I had a good chance of them completely passing them. So you, so that's something for the new investor to realize some of these properties have changed hands and they've been approved by Fannie over the years and now they're not. So they're like, well, we have a loan or I've even seen this on assuming a loan. They've assumed the loan and uh, at part of the, you know, PCA process of seeing where the property's at, they require you to change out these panels. So it's definitely something that is, is changing with the insurance and, and lenders that we work with. What, what's the cost to ch change out these panels? 
Well, that's where the the sticker shock really uh, hits you. <laughs> um, they run about a thousand dollars per panel, so that's per unit. So these are the panels that are located inside the units. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of investors that are business people, right? They're they're you know they used to flip homes. They they're doctors, lawyers, engineers. These are the questions you have to ask, you know, and you have to have somebody on your team that knows what they're talking about. You need to, you know, look, are there foundation issues? Are there roofing issues? You know, on the electrical side, you know, what kind of wiring are they using? What kind of, you know, panels or electrical panels are in, in, the, in the property? If you don't ask those questions, you can end up owning a property that all of a sudden, which is interesting to me that, not only on the purchase, the lender inspection on the purchase, but even two, three, four years down the road, the lender could come back and say, you know what, you need to upgrade this. Well, I, I've heard this from a, a, a dust lender, a, a direct lender to, to Fannie. And Fannie as a whole is looking to shore up their portfolio to improve the quality of the holdings when we're have some of you know these capital market issues and uh where we're where, you know the economy in general is under a stress test they're stressing their properties to make sure that they have good quality properties and any that don't pass they want them to sell or refinance out into other types of debt so they're looking to improve their portfolio mm, that's interesting now can they can fanny require you to to refi out to, to another lender? Or they no, do? but they'll make it onerous where that you, you want to, um, <laughs> be, because here's the process. They will require you to put up capital reserves that they will hold in an escrow account. Gotcha. And if you cannot produce the money, you know, to put into that escrow account, because, you know, I deal with all types of investors and some are, you know, undercapitalized, I would say, and some have a lot of resources. And so you want to make sure that, you know, when you partner with someone that on the general partner, because that's who is responsible, that they either had the resources to do that, to put in the capital. So they're going to hold that in escrow. And if you can't do that, we've, we've seen some deals where they go to market to avoid having to do these repairs. So, the, and that's, I'm assuming that's part of the, the lender docs you know, that were signed at purchase, there's a, there's little writing in there that allows them to, you know, increase the, the reserves based on, you know, repairs that they deem. So, so you talk about investors coming from other areas, you know, they're, they maybe no finance and not no due diligence. Well, this is something for me as an investor, I didn't know the intricacies of lending capital markets and these lender contracts absolutely have a, a lot of fine print where they say, you find out later, they can pretty much do what they want. Do what they want, right. You know, now we've learned some of those are negotiable that we didn't negotiate at first, but uh, really, you know, the lender controls the deal. And so you want to make sure that they're happy uh, throughout your hold period. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing all those issues. I, look, when I, when I was walking with you, I was so naive. I remember there were, uh, we're walking past and, and there was dripping coming out of uh, some pipes out on the outside. 
And I don't remember what the issue was. It was an overflow or whatever. Um, I don't know if it was for ACs or for the hot water heater, but, um, you know, it was great to have somebody that knew exactly what that was and, hey, you just got a budget for this or you got to do this and, and, and you have no problems. Let's switch over from the maintenance side to, look, you were, you still do all these due diligence work, your company, um, but you also have gotten involved with buying properties. You have three large properties for 832 units. So one, why did you make that decision to actually become an owner? And then two, what are kind of some of the learning lessons, you know, from being on the other side of the table? Uh, well, I always wanted to be an apartment investor. I mean, for before I was able to do it and had the capacity to do it, uh, part of the reason why I went into due diligence and, and moved particularly into apartments specifically. So I'm not, I don't do any residential. You know, I, I mentioned we home, we used to flip houses. Um, we, we weren't very good at flipping. We were more of like a slow backbend. You know, we'd, <laughs> uh, we, we, we typically did higher end houses. And so they took a little bit more time. But when I knew that I wanted to invest in apartments, that's where I switched my due diligence and GC business to only focus on apartments just to be around those investors. So it, it took some time for me, frankly, to build up the capital, to be able to have something to, to invest uh, in the apartments. But that was always the goal. It just, once you've done single family and you realize that they're valued on just a comparative market analysis and you see the power of the cap rate and being uh, based, the value is based on a multiple of your income. And, f- and that you have control, there's forced appreciation. So, you, you know, where you could have two properties right next to each other. And if you're managing your property really well, valuation can continue to increase. And the one right next door may be poorly managed and NOI doesn't go anywhere. And that one's going to stay the same valuation, even though they may look comparative. Exactly. And so that's really why I, I wanted to uh, always be, you know, always, you know, for the last 20 years, be an apartment investor and have been able to do that for the last four or five years. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to do that. Right. So um, you, you talk about some of the lessons learned is one, how, how vital operations is, you know, it's not just getting the deal. It's then uh, asset managing and, and the property management company is so important. And everybody says that going forward, that's going to be more and more and more important. I completely agree as, so I get the benefit of being on the, kind of on the sidelines at the beginning and at the end of some of these deals. And, you know, a lot of investors had tremendous success, but I kind of see behind the scenes, I'm like, they did it by, you know, the skin of their teeth kind of by the seat of their pants, you know, as far as they didn't know anything, but they were successful. I, I just don't think that's going to be the case over the next several years uh, in this economy. I think there's still money to be made in apartments and it's a great investment vehicle, but you're going to have to uh, really have a good team put together. And and this is a good part to, to interject where I'm a numbers guy. I, you know, I have a degree in engineering from Baylor. I did that for a few years and then, then went into real estate and found what I really love. 
And so I'm always numbers based, but as I become, you know, more experienced as an apartment investor and try to grow my, my business, it is, it is putting those teams together is really critical. Like how well do you work with a property management company? And if there's problems in the property management company, it's because they haven't put together a team effectively. You know, what's your ongoing training? Um, how do you bring in new people? And so right now we have, you know, a shortage of good quality uh, candidates for uh, managers, uh, maintenance. So how do you, how, what's your intake? Well, I have the same issue on uh, my due diligence business. How do you put together a team? How do you keep them motivated? And, and I'm finding that these soft skills of leadership development, um, team building, kind of emotional intelligence has greater value than I, than I ever thought. And I was more of a numbers focus previously. So that's a big lesson that I've learned over the last few years. Yeah, I, I think that's you. I mean, everybody says that multifamily is a team sport and there's just so many people that are involved. And, you know, if you're not good with people and building a team, then partner with somebody that is, you know, if, you know, if you're, if you're the guy who's really good at, you know, finding deals and building relationships with brokers, you know, then partner with somebody that's the, the, the uh, underwriter that's going to underwrite all the deals. You don't have to be all things, you know, figure out where you're good and where you can add value and then find other team members some, some of those team members could be partners. You know, some of those team members are investors that are going to invest in the deal. And some, like you were saying, some of those team members are third-party companies that you're going to work with. And you're building a relationship, right? It's not just transactional. It's not just uh, one time and you're done. You, you can work with these companies uh, over the years, the same as you do with a preferred lender and, you know, preferred partners. That's what they want. And that's what you want. Like, you know, absolutely. They, you know, the vendors would, would much prefer to talk to you about five different properties in one phone call than, you know, talk to five different people about five different properties. Right. Absolutely. Yes. So the soft skills, you know, before we hit record, you mentioned something about some giveaways that you wanted to do. Um, do you want to maybe share that with the listeners in terms of how they can get some of those giveaways? Well, you talked about how when I walked with a property with you that uh, it was so beneficial to you know, kind of point out things and kind of, well, this is one way, this is another, uh, depending on your business plan. Well, I can't do that with everyone. Right. And so I've done a couple of, of trainings, just a couple of short video trainings to show the investor how to drive by a property and start putting together that renovation budget. So before you have, you know, gone down the path and you've put, you know, you've hired someone like me for due diligence, that's already down the path, you know, a, a ways. And, you know, remember the days of, you know, hard money that's still around. And now, now you want to make sure that your, your property's in good shape so that you can get to the finish line uh, with, with the lender. So, so I have a training for how to do a drive-by, what, what to look for, what to evaluate, and then also a subsequent training, additional training for how to do a property tour. You're touring with a broker. You're seeing the property. What are you looking at? 
Um, and so a couple of trainings I'd like to give away. And uh, we use, I use community. Okay. So uh, you can text that, uh, text me at community. And once you give me permission to send you that, that link, I'll send you those, those trainings. So what's the community? So they just text to this. It's, it's my number? text number. Yes. Okay. What what is the what is the text number? So that's two one four eight three three sixty four fifty. Again, two one four eight three three sixty four fifty. And once you text that, text podcast, and I'll be sure to get those trainings out to you. You know that's huge. I was just talking to a, a new investor well you know she was she's trying to become an active investor and she was asking me you know hey will will you go on some property tours with me and i was like you know i'm sorry but no you know like i'm i i i'm just too busy and i can't do it for everybody right so but and I, i'm like there's fear right i can tell that mm-hmm. she's afraid and i was afraid you know that first time um, going, you know, what do you say to the broker? What is the broker going to ask you? Like, you don't want to look dumb. You want to, you know, and I'm like, look, at the end of the day, you're going to get better each time you, you do it. But if you don't do it, you're not going to get any better. Right. Um, but I wish I had this resource I could have pointed her to, to give her a little bit more confidence. So, so that's, that's great. So thank you for sharing that with people. Okay. What one tip I'll give on a property tour of, you know, that I've learned is do go with a buddy, go with someone. So you as the investor, you really have to sell the broker that you're a good person that can, you know, you have the wherewithal, you have the team, you, you have the capacity to buy the property. So part of your job is convincing the broker during the property tour. And then the other part is evaluating the property. So that's two different roles. So you, if you can have a buddy, just, Take some notes on what they're seeing while someone has the conversation with the broker. Uh, you can get the most out of that property tour. That, that's a great point. And, and that's exactly what I, I, I've told other people is that, look, going on a property tour, there's a lot of different things that are happening. One, you're, you're seeing whether it's a property that you want to, you know, invest more time with and try to win. Um, but it's also you're evaluating the broker. Or do I want to do business with this guy? And he's evaluating you, you know, is this person capable of closing? Like, or am I going to put him at the back of the list? You know, so uh, those are all great points. Look, you've done so much. Um, I'm so thankful that there is this resource. This is another advantage of joining a multifamily mentorship group or a mastermind or going to free meetups, getting around people that have already like if you want to, your goal is to buy apartment buildings, get around other apartment owners because they're the ones that were like, you got to hire Brian. Like, and then you learn that and then, you, you know, you got to hire this, this legal firm. You need to hire, the, you know, this property management company and you learn from other people, you know, you have to get out there and do that. So what's your next big stretch goal? So I'm looking to, you know, well, I've been in due diligence for a long time and I've kind of stayed in the Texas market. Uh, I want to expand. So you're going to go outside of Texas. Absolutely. Awesome. So that's really my goal as you know, uh, 
like you mentioned, I, I have a business coach. I have uh, masterminds that I'm, I'm part of. And they're like, why are you staying so small? Why are you staying in Texas? It's like, uh, so I want to expand, you know, I, I want to expand in the Sun Belt where I want to, you know, potentially invest in apartments and, and be able to, to service those clients. So really, I want to grow the due diligence and then take that excess capital and invest in apartments. So in, in what I know and love. So, so that's my next thing is we're, we're first expanding to Florida. And that's really on my target list. Um, we have Look, family just, in Florida too, saying, so, you know. Just <laughs> saying it is a risk, right? I mean, you know, you get into this world and you get around so many people that just keep pushing themselves and keep pushing the envelope in terms of what they can accomplish. And you, when you see that, it, it motivates you to do the same. But, you know, when we talk about growth, like doing stuff that you haven't done before, you know, is where that growth is. It can be scary, but it's also like when you look back, you're like, oh, cool, I did that. Like, so you don't necessarily know how you're going to accomplish it. You just know you want to, you want to have, you know, grow your business in the Sun Belt, you know, and now you got to figure out how to do it, you know, cost effectively. Absolutely. So that's my next big stretch goal. So, if listeners are, you know, because the listeners are, we've got first-time investors, we've got syndicators looking to scale. If, if there are syndicators that are scaling and they're maybe, maybe they've bought in Texas, maybe they've actually used you in Texas and they don't even know that you, you have interest in doing business outside. So if they're going to do business in, what would you define as the, the Sun Belt? Florida, Georgia, right? Uh, Nashville is still though, you know, Nashville. Carolinas. Um, so if you're going to be in if, those markets, if, if it's snowing right now, we probably don't go there. Right. You know, we're, we're approaching Thanksgiving, right? Uh, this time and of what year. What would be your requirement? Like, is it somebody that are you looking to move into those markets with somebody you've already done business with? Or if somebody's listening to this and they have not done business with you, um, should they call you? Uh, absolutely. Um, it's really the size of the transaction that makes it possible. Okay. Right? So if, if you're looking at anything size? over 200 units, it, it makes sense for, for me and my team to potentially go, go out there. If it's, you know, 12 unit complex, 30 unit, I, I really can't, uh, because of how our business model is set up is we're, we're paying these trades, right? So to come out there and provide a service, that's why you're, you're not obligated because sometimes, you do it for free, but they're waiting there for you to, you know, uh, well, the to other do the hard job. part for you is uh, like here, like in any of the sub markets in, in the major metropolitan Texas markets, you know who the trades are that want to work in Irving or Fort Worth or Dallas. But like if you go to Jacksonville, like you now you got to, you know, build relationships with the different, you know, G, you know the different you know, subs in those markets. And, and so you, you need to have a big enough investment to make that worthwhile. Absolutely. And, you know, after doing this for a few years, we kind of know what to look for in a sub. And so, but it is reaching out and creating those relationships so we can put together teams like we have in Texas in other states. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, I wish you much success on, 
not front. Hey, what about for fun, like outside of work? What do you like to do? Hey, we actually just came back from Branson, Missouri. And so I love to travel with, with family. Uh, we did a you know, couple, couple of weeks there. I know you're traveling all over the country. So similarly, we love doing that. We love to travel. We love to uh, be in new places, but with, with family. So um, we actually, we homeschool our kids. Oh, awesome. And so How many kids do you have? We got three kids. Three kids, uh, what ages? Eight, 11, and 12, 12-year-olds, 12 about to be 13. I'm going to have my first teenager <laughs> here in a couple of months. Unbelievable. Homeschool, that's, you know, that's tough, right? I mean, that's a, that's a big commitment. So um, my wife is a superhero. I, yeah. I admit it, right? Um, but we wanted to, you know, kind of the way we want to take care, we want to be responsible for our income, right? So I have my own business. I choose my own investments. I want to be responsible for our own education as well to make sure they get a quality, uh, well-rounded education. And so we do school on the road. We do school, you know, when we travel. So um, and it allows us to have that flexibility uh, to do that that most can't do. That's awesome. So if people want to reach out and get to know you a little bit better, um, first of all, thank you for giving that that text message of 214-833-6450. Um, is there a website or someplace else that that listeners can go to to learn about your company and, and a little bit more about you? Yep, absolutely. Go to theomnigroup.com. That's T-H-E-O-M-N-I group.com. So theomnigroup.com. And that's where we're located. Fantastic. So, Brian, one, thank you for working on our deal um, and, and helping me, <laughs> coaching me and advising me. Um, look, listeners, if you've got properties like and you don't have somebody like Brian on your team, that's a big mistake. So um, definitely look him up and get to know him and his group and his uh, team members. And until next week. Not enough. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Darren. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.